electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the new month for stocks coming amid calls now that a correction has arrived and is likely to get worse. So does the investment committee agree with that? We debate, we discuss today for the hour with Steve Weiss, Pete Nigerian, Courtney Gibson is the president of Loop Capital Markets, Kevin O'Leary, the chairman of O'Shares ETF. Let's go to the wall. Pretty good day on this first day of February. We're green across the board. Dow's good for 230, three quarters of 1%. There's the S&P uh, and the NASDAQ, which is the outperformer today. You can see the NASDAQ's pushing about a 2% gain. You've got some nice some moves today in Alphabet, Amazon, BABA, all ahead of those big earnings this week. And that really sets the state of play for us. Guys, you do have this new month for stocks. You do have very big and important earnings this week in tech and elsewhere. We're watching the retail surge impact, volatility in the markets, and uh, what was GameStop uh, is now silver. So we have our eye uh, on that as well. And we do have this call now, Courtney, from Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson. Quote, the correction has arrived. Positioning and leverage should do the rest. Well, this correction is likely to get worse and feel bad in the short term, this is not a bubble or like 2000 for many reasons. So calls now that the correction is here. Is it? Uh, well, good to see you again, Scott. You know, everyone is entitled to an opinion, and I'm sure he's done a ton of research that would say it's here. But I think there are a number of factors that one would say may not allow this correction to last longer than what was Friday. Um, so, you know, when you think about the amount of cash on the sidelines, you look at savings rate, you look at the amount of capital that is going to come into this marketplace with stimulus. You look at, you know, people can say valuations are here, are there. I don't think this market is overvalued. I think this market has finally begun to be discerning. Let's put aside GameStop and AMC and, and what kind of happened there for just a second. And you look at names that are outperforming in this market. You look at the names that came back when they were beat down last week. And you're actually seeing strong companies come back to the positioning in which they belong. And so I don't think there is a correction right now by any means. You see kind of what's happening with the virus. How long have we been waiting for some good news? How long have we been waiting for the death tolls yeah. to pause and the hospitalizations to come down? Hey, I mean, I could go on and on. I won't. But, you know, I think there's some good opportunities here. Yeah. Forgive me for interrupting you. I do want to get to Kate Rooney who has more breaking news on Robinhood, as Carl was just talking about at the end of the prior show, uh, a more capital raise. Kate, what can you tell us? Hey, Scott, Robinhood has raised an additional $2.4 billion. That is on top of a billion dollars it raised just last week. So total in just a few days since last Thursday, Robinhood has brought in $3.4 billion from existing investors. So the names on this list in terms of the backers giving Robinhood some capital here, Ribbit Capital, Iconic, Andreessen Horowitz, Sequoia, Index Ventures, and NEA. All again from existing uh, investors here. And it's in addition 
to $600 million in credit that they got from their bankers last week. So all of this, of course, to meet those record capital requirements um, in order to keep these stocks online. And again, $3.4 billion just since last Thursday. Scott, back to you. All right, Kate Rooney, appreciate that. Thank you very much. Back to our conversation as we were really picking up off the current environment. Yes, Robinhood's a big story within that. And uh, Courtney, you know, we did hear from you. All right, so Kevin O'Leary, maybe a correction's here. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's going to get worse, as Mike Wilson said, and maybe it's not. But what I see from you is buying more and buying a lot more, buying more Microsoft, buying more Facebook, buying J&J and Apple and Tencent and Baba, which I said reports this week, and Pfizer. Uh, That's a lot. What does that say about your view of the market? I can't find anywhere else to put money that's competitive. I'm not going to put it in fixed income, even though I believe the 10-year will be at 2% by the end of this year, just because of inflationary pressures of whatever stimulus package we get. As far as this correction goes and why I continue to buy, we're, we're in a pause that refreshes, mostly driven by the fact there's some concerns about how fast this virus gets squashed. It doesn't look like it's going to be as easy as we planned. Logistics issues. Now that Biden's fully in control, he, he owns the issue. And every day we hear the update on where we can get vaccines, where we can't. In addition, there's a big spread in the stimulus package. You know, I, I love kumbaya politics and you get it for one day when you hear the inaugural speech. And after that, it's back to business as usual. So we're going to fight about minimum wage. We're going to fight about states. We're going to fight about this, fight about that. In the end, it's not going to be $1.9 trillion. It'll be whatever it is. And then we'll have to look at the stimulus package. But all of that liquidity speaks to owning equities. And you go back to what works. Microsoft's really working. J&J, I want to be in the middle of healthcare. Anything to do with the consumer, I absolutely love. Facebook, it's a gift to get a pullback of 8%. It's it's firing in every cylinder. Yes, I know we have to shut it down. It's evil. But you can't do that right now because it's running small business in America, period. Got to wait till we have something else. So that yin and yang's been going on forever. I just see it as a buying opportunity. I'm going to continue with the names that have really served me well and load up to full weightings on them. Yeah, Pete, I mean, others do, too. Even if you think that there's going to be more, you know, deleveraging or de-risking from hedge funds, which may go on for you know, some period of time. Mike Novogratz tweets today. I'll read this because it's important. I think it really represents the view that's widely out there. Most people I know, he says, in the equity markets are waiting to buy as soon as they think the deleveraging is over. The macro backdrop is still stocks higher, assets higher, tons of cash around, and an economy that will explode in a good way once enough of us get jabbed. Speaking of the, the vaccine, that seems to be the prevailing view, Pete, that even if you think stocks may be in a period of turbulence or uh, heightened volatility and they do pull back, there's a lot of buyers waiting to pounce in this market. Yeah, I totally agree with that. As a matter of fact, I'd be one of those. I haven't trimmed back as much as I'd like to, Scott. And the only way I've been able to is I look at these names and to Kevin's point, I look at a lot of these names. I like these names. I like where they're trading right now for the most part. So that's why I continue to hold on to them. And I've talked about, hey, I'm going to start trimming some of these equities. I trimmed a couple, Scott, but almost nothing. And so I think that the reality has been for me, how do I do this in a way that still makes some sense? I could take advantage of volatility. So when we talk about the VIX all the time, you look at those implied volatilities within the VIX. So the VIX was just trading in the 22s not that terribly long ago. Yesterday, we were 33. This morning, we were 33. 
three. That gives you an opportunity to use that uh, volatility that has come back into the market and the implied volatilities of most of the stocks that I'm trading right now. It gives me a chance to sell right on top. So in other words, if, if normally in Apple I would sell about a 10% out of the money call a month out, let's just say, I'm not doing that. I am selling options against my long stock positions that are right on top of where we are. Now, that's gonna make it a lot more difficult if we go straight up, but it also gives me a lot more cushion to the downside, and I'm taking advantage of the implied volatility in a lot of these various names that has risen by five, 10, 15, 20%. Who knows if we go straight up or not, right? I, you know. Weiss, I'm curious for, for your, your perspective, not only on the, the Mike Wilson commentary today, again, saying that, you know, if you're waiting a correction, don't wait because it's already here and it's likely to get painful, at least feel bad. Uh, but there's no reason to think that you're in sort of bigger moment that's going to have a 2000 like upset, even as others are talking about some similarities that are to the year 2000 and that period, whether it's the, you know, the heightened retail involvement or what have you. You do, as David Costin says, have the biggest short squeeze in some 25 years. What's your view on where we are now as you hear from some of your colleagues on our committee today who are buying stocks? Well, I've also increased exposure, but I've done it a little differently. I did it through, um, through some bull spreads on names that I own, like Qualcomm and Corvo. Um, so I'm very positive on the market. I think it's an okay conversation to have what Mike Wilson's saying, although I remember when strategists used to take the long view instead of trying to day trade the market. But I think you got to put that noise aside. You got to put the noise aside of Reddit. We're talking about isolated instances. We're not talking about a reckoning in the market. We're not talking about democratization of, of retail into the market as if it's just happening. John Bogle started that with Vanguard years ago. So we're seeing the trend continue, yes. But I agree with Mike Novgratz. What we're gonna see is the fastest growing economy that we've seen in years and years. And the deleveraging has already happened. The degrossing has happened. We saw the biggest grossing in the quickest time in hedge funds since 2010. The level of degrossing is rivaling what happened in March of last year when COVID first hit and the panic ensued. So that, if you're waiting for that, don't wait for the bottom. You can't call the bottom of it. Now's the time to put your money in. But what you've got, you've got massive stimulus, whether it's a $1,000 check or a $1,400 check, whether it's an infrastructure bill that's $4 trillion or $1 trillion, you're going to see it all the time. As Jay Powell made clear, you have free money. So we're seeing some great earnings reports, particularly from technology. So I'm not surprised technology's up today. I was surprised it was down as much as it was last week, and it was a painful week for me, despite having some big winners there, like a Skyworks. Skyworks sells at a big discount to the market. So there's value there. Not everything is so overvalued. So my advice is ignore the noise, ignore the short-term maturations in the market. We just don't know what's happening there. You can't pick them. And just focus on the long ball and a burgeoning economy that's going to explode. Sure. But but I've been wondering, too, and, and just to push back a, a little bit, no one is suggesting that this mm -hmm. is the birth of the retail investor, as you say, Jack Bogle and Vanguard and others, obviously pioneering what retail investors have been able to do for decades and decades. But this feels and I think certainly is without question a renaissance of the retail investor. I explore that through you, who, by the way, is more sophisticated and with it than people have given them credit for, uh, perhaps over the last many years. 
One of my questions is the fact that they're so engaged in a market that has been so hot since the March lows. Does that put a little bit of a a floor uh, under the market? So even if you say, okay, a correction may be here and it may be worse than you think, and that's one person's call, you do have a cohort and Mm -hmm. a rather large one that is engaged and involved in buying stocks like they haven't done in years. Steve, what's the broad implication of that for the market itself? And Courtney, you after Steve. And I agree with that. Since it was your thought, I come back to you. Right. I I agree with that. I think we've seen a lot of it, but it hasn't been in the headlines. For example, in Apple, you've seen so much retail buying in Apple and other names. So, yes, you have another investor class that's coming in on the margin. Additional buyers are very, very positive. But my view, they're also weak handed. So, you know, the sword, it cuts both ways. Right now, we're benefiting from it. We may not benefit from it if the market hits a rough spot. But clearly, having, as I said, that marginal buyer is a positive for the market, but in a limited group of stocks. And I wouldn't give them more credit and say that they're all sophisticated. A lot of them aren't. Some are. As a matter of fact, the person who started this whole thing with GameStop was looking for a value play. He wasn't looking for a short squeeze. That happened after. No, so but of course, come on. It is. I, I get it. I, I get it. But hedge funds have <laughs> hedge funds have blown up too by making stupid bets on on the wrong side too. I mean, we regardless of the size of your wallet, right. You've all, everybody's made dumb moves in the market over, over a period of time. I think that's an important point to to make out. We're learning that over the last couple of weeks, people make dumb bets. Whether you have all the money in the world or not that much money, if you're engaged in the market, chances are over a period of time, you're going to be on the wrong side of a trade or two. Courtney, go ahead. And Scott, I will tell you unequivocally, I am more excited than I've ever been at the engagement around this market. You may not like the fact that we have new traders in the market that aren't investors the way they've seen forever ago. That's okay. But when you tell me, and I saw these statistics today and I was shocked, that last year, credit card debt, when everyone was all fearful of the retail investor, the consumer doing so poorly and they aren't going to know what they're going to do with their money, they're going to run their credit cards up, credit card debt went down 10% last year. $4 trillion injected in savings accounts, $5 trillion in savings. Okay? Those are numbers that are real. And what it says to me is, yes, you have capital flowing in from retail investors. I do not believe some of them, yes, are are not as astute as maybe one might want them to be ultimately. But you know what? There's a lot of capital out there coming into these markets potentially that is a good thing. There's a lot of capital in the sidelines waiting to go into that two thirds of GDP, i.e. the consumer, that's going to help rev this economy back. I'm okay with that. We need more education. We need more things kind of around the edges and the frills. But this engagement, Scott, is something that we should all welcome and welcome with open arms. Okay. The question is, where's this money going to go? Where is this new money, whether it's the Novogratz type money that that he's referencing, you know, people he knows who are waiting for some kind of, you know, for the, the end of this deleveraging period and money goes in, or if it's retail or what have you, Kevin, we got tech in focus, okay? Earnings this week, Alphabet, Amazon, Qualcomm, NXP, PayPal, eBay, and Corvo. Let's also not forget that Apple and Facebook did not trade all that well after their earnings. And I get that they had big moves into the print. But nonetheless, the the earnings, Apple's on January 27th, the stock is down 7%. That gives you an idea. So where's the bar for these other names, Kevin? 
the Alphabets, the Amazons, the Qualcomms, you know, and, and maybe some of the others, too. You own Amazon. I do own Amazon. And, you know, you, sometimes you trade down before the print and sometimes you trade down after the print. In the case of Facebook, there was nothing wrong with the Facebook numbers. They, they, they blew their numbers away and it just showed the continued momentum. I wanted to make reference, though, to the extra $2 billion that was just raised in the last hour for Robinhood and point something out in terms of all of us as investors. You know, there was millions of people. There's 100 million people who don't have any investment account for retirement in America. That's still a problem. That's because of the lack of education that Courtney referenced. So you don't teach it in high school. Along comes Vlad and his team over at Robinhood picks up 16 million accounts. Now, whether you like the way they trade or they don't, they affect the markets for the first time. So the little guy has power. For the, this weekend, I've never seen anything like this because I, I try and monitor social media versus what I own. Is anybody starting to track or saying anything out there on any big position I have? And this weekend on Instagram, I, got, I have an account there, Kevin O'Leary TV. It exploded <laughs> with this whole vibe of sticking it to the big man. And I'm thinking to myself, yikes. What am I short right now? And I'm not the only guy thinking that. Who ever worried about 25-year-olds taking you out behind the barn and shooting you? That's basically what the market has to deal with now. I don't care if it's silver yeah. or if it's GameStop or AMC. That's a new product out there, Scott. No, you make a good point. And, and there's a lot of commentary out there today, including on Twitter, that in, in general, if, if nothing else, this is going to change the hedge fund risk model. They're going to have to sort of rethink the way they're engaged in the market and also the way that they're publicly engaged in the market and the way they talk about different positions that they have. But Weiss, you're right in the center of the, the mix this week. You own Alphabet, mm -hmm. you've got Qualcomm, you've got Amazon, you've got Corvo, and you've made some moves, uh, I believe, around Corvo too. So just give us your sort of lay of the land in big tech. Do, are these stocks at risk of doing what Apple and Facebook did? and trading lower on the print, a sell on the news, so to speak? You know, if, I don't think so, uh, because as I said, I put a bull spread on Corvo and Qualcomm, uh, which means that I'm betting on it to go up, in addition to my equity positions. We look at Skyworks. Skyworks was moving nicely, although it came down right before the quarter, market-related, not stock-related, and look at it on Friday. Look at it today. So you've had a huge move there. We take a look at Netflix. Netflix didn't trade up into the quarter, and it's come down with the NASDAQ market, but it exploded on the quarter. Then there's Teradyne, and Teradyne was down about 17% after the quarter, spiked good numbers. So it's really very stock-specific, and that's why I don't think it'll affect the overall market. Um, but as far as you know, the, the hedge fund model, look, hedge funds don't go into, in my view, except for maybe a Chanos who who's just a pure short seller, they don't expect to make money on shorts. Those are hedges. And whether they hedge with ETS, with, with you. other you know, products, or whether they hedge with short stocks, they're going to lose money. That's been the pattern. It's hurt their performance, but allows them to collect 2 and 20 or whatever, because you don't get paid that for being long. If you want to be a long manager, you get money, you earn a VIG, an incentive over and above what the S&P does or some sort of hurdle. So that's why they keep the market. I don't remember looking at hedge funds too many that have made money over the last 10 years consistently in the short side, except for certain periods of time, like in last okay. March. So, so look, wanna, so, I, so I I'm, wanna, I'm happy with my positions. I, I'm not I got, doing anything with them. 
Okay, I want to stay on the conversation of the, of the stocks that are reporting, right? Wapner's rule of thumb. Train right. moves on, train doesn't turn back, <laughs> okay? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Courtney, okay? Yeah. You got that? Train moves on, train doesn't go back. Courtney, and if you miss it, you miss the train. You've got to get the next one. Courtney, PayPal reports this week, recent purchase of yours, and you've been adding more. Talk to me. Look, Scott, um, I have loved financials and tech. You put them together, you got FinTech, right? You got this payment system. I'm a very, very big proponent, as you know, of Square. I've talked about PayPal forever. The biggest, propon- the biggest winner of the Robinhood transfer, which I don't think will last very long, is going to be Square and Cash App, right? Every millennial has Cash App on their phone, and so do their parents and grandparents to send us money, right? So ultimately, that's one. And PayPal's Venmo, you know, I'm, I'm going to not talk about the tremendous benefits of the stock because you guys can all do the research and you know the business model. Go into a nail shop, go into a restaurant, go anywhere. And yes, you can go right now safely in certain states that are open. You can pay with Venmo. You don't even, I leave my wallet at home sometimes and just pay with my phone. How often, look at what that does. Look at what digital payments does. They brought in 70 million new users, right, last year alone on a base of, I think, over 300 million, according to our analyst at Loop Capital, Ken Hill. This is our number one pick of 2021. And I got in late. I wish I'd gotten in sooner, but I've been picking up. Absolutely. I got in late. My girl Bryn, my girl Bryn. She, she told me to buy it at somewhere well below 200. I got in when it dipped below 230 last week, Scott, and I just picked up tons of it, and I think it goes well above 300. We have a 274 price target on it right now. Okay, I hope you make money in that. Pete, uh, you previously owned PayPal. I will. You don't own it now. I did. But we do have a big week no. for those earnings. You don't seem to have much play yeah within them, but I'm guessing you have some pretty big thoughts about these big names and the impact maybe it could have on some of the ones you are invested or at least trading in through the options market. Right. Absolutely, Scott. So when you look back, obviously, we've had multiple different weeks now of some incredible, some of the largest market cap companies delivering their earnings. And I think you can read some of what we came with from last week, for instance, with a Microsoft looking at Amazon, because let's be honest, Amazon, it's about AWS. That is Amazon to me. So as I look at this uh, coming quarter, I have to think that they've been killing it. I, I, we know what happened with Microsoft. They ran into the number. Stock was 240, pulled back, and then once again, it bounced right back up towards these levels once again. So I, I think that would be bullish for Amazon. I think Amazon's going to have a solid report. And when they do, I think that's actually going to be bullish as well for Microsoft. They're in the right spot. They're in the cloud. So as we look ahead, I'm not in a lot of these various names. I do. I loved PayPal. I was in it way too early because I got out way too early. I got out, I think, back around 160. So this is up in the stratosphere for me. And I'm amazed that it continues to go to the upside. But all of the factors of why it was a great company going in still do exist. Obviously, the purchase of Venmo was unbelievable. Courtney diagnosed that very, very well. And I think uh, it's, it's a stock that could easily go a lot higher. I just ha- don't have the patience right now to be able to jump into it because I feel like when I do look at the multiple here now, it's a little bit more difficult for me. I get it, though. I totally understand why it could continue to go to the upside. I just am missing that ride. I'm just riding other, other trains right now. Intraday, uh, liking the conversation for sure. I mean, the stock is up. Highs of the day for PayPal, nearly 4%. You are, Pete, involved in Twitter, which, by the way, was named the top pick yep. at J.P. Morgan today. They go overweight or they, you know, they, uh, they reiterate it um, more likely. Their price target is 65 bucks. 
there was obviously a lot of talk about social media stocks and Twitter among them mm-hmm. in the moves that they made with with uh, former President Trump uh, and some others. And J.P. Morgan acknowledges mm-hmm. that we recognize investor concerns around engagement in a post-Trump world, though we believe a small number of users were only on the platform to follow uh, Mr. Trump. Talk to me about your Twitter play here. One month, it's down 4%. Yeah. Three months, it's up 25.5%, mm-hmm. Pete. Yeah, this is a name that I've owned for quite a few months, and it, 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 part of the reason I owned it, Scott, was going into the elections. Um, and that was like three, four months even going into those elections that I felt like, you know, the, the, the atmosphere that we are in right now at that point in time was going to be favorable for some of the social media, specifically, I think, because of the engagement levels with Twitter. And obviously, I love Instagram because of Facebook. I own Facebook stock as well. But I do think that they are, as even though they get compared to each other oftentimes, I think Twitter's its own animal. And I think that they are they're in, a, in a very sweet spot right now. And like J.P. Morgan is diagnosed on this whole thing, too, I think that there's a lot more to Twitter going forward. It was not just a Trump trade. I think there's far more to it. As a matter of fact, from a financial aspect, it's 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 a great resource, uh, and and I use it frequently to reach it, to reach out and find out some of the news. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different mechanisms that we can all use through Twitter. It's not just about some silliness. There's a lot of different things that I think there are some good factual things that we can all dig out if we want to. And there is the social side, but I think this is a stock I've owned it for a long period of time now probably six, seven months, and I think I could continue to own this for quite a long time unless they stumble. And so far, Jack has done a great job, I think, even after what all of the situations. He didn't feel the pain when it came to some of the decisions that they made about the president and others that they decided that they were going to restrict. So because of that, they were able to get through that. I think the stock goes higher. Uh, you got that highs of the day on Twitter as well. That's three and three quarters percent. That brings me now to a battle. We like to have battles and debates on this show. ExxonMobil, okay, <laughs> added to J.P. Morgan's focus list. Uh, there were those reports that Exxon and, and Chevron, by the way, had discussed a deal in 2020. They go overweight. The price target is 56 bucks. Courtney, you own Exxon. Tell me about why you own this stock. I'm somewhat surprised that, that you own ExxonMobil. And then I want Kevin to give sort of the other side of that from a self-professed energy stock Hater. Courtney, you're first. Well, no, absolutely, Scott. So, you know, I don't like certain things about the company. However, if you actually want to affect change, getting out of it is not the way to do it. When you look at what large institutional investors are doing, when you look at what large asset owners, i.e. the CalPERS, CalSTRS, I think Chris Ailman most recently talked about the fact that he's not going to divest of his position. Why? He's much more effective going in there and saying, guys, let's change how you're doing this in order to impact change. As we've talked about before, this generation, right, whether you're talking about millennials, Gen Z's, you name it, wants to have a wants to actually have a world to live in. So clearly, when you think about going into an energy company, you want to go into the best and you want to go into companies that actually have the propensity to potentially change. They can't change their full model, but there are ways to change what they do to have less of a carbon footprint in our world. And I think Exxon is well positioned to do that. And there are there are owners that have to hold these. Certain index funds have to hold the positions. You can go into customized portfolios, but if you're the city of Birmingham's pension system, they don't have the ability to customize right now. So when you think about people that have to be in the name, 
it's an opportunity and it's an even bigger opportunity for the seven, eight trillion dollar asset manager like a BlackRock and Larry Fink to come in and say, let's really look at this model and how can we change it to be more beneficial for our future? Okay. Uh, I, I, I put your position out there, uh, Kev, the, the guy who doesn't like energy. I'm going to take a break, uh, if you'll beg my pardon on, on that, uh, please. Straight ahead, a trailblazer in the electronic trading space. Kyle Zasky gives us his thoughts on the retail trading revolution. Much more when we're back on the half in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. I'm Courtney Reagan, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A congressional panel says it is investigating three large meatpacking companies for worker safety violations connected to COVID-19 outbreaks at their facilities that reportedly killed hundreds of workers. The firms are JBS USA, Tyson Foods, and Smithfield Foods. On the first day of Black History Month, the American Civil Liberties Union has announced it has elected its first black president ever. Deborah Archer will be just the eighth president in the organization's 101-year history. Currently, she's a professor at NYU Law School. And at the International Space Station, two NASA astronauts are finishing up four years of power upgrades to the spacecraft. They're also installing a pair of new cameras. Their work is expected to last six and a half hours. Back over to you, Scott. All right, Court, appreciate it. Thank you very much. The reemergence of the retail investor has been made possible by the lightning fast way stocks can be traded today from just about anywhere. Our next guest is considered a pioneer in the electronic re- uh, trading space. Kyle Zasky co-founded Edge Trade. He sold it to Knight in 2008, now a partner at the investment firm Senna Hill. Welcome. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Happy to be back on. Yeah, you know, you 20 years ago when we first met were at that time really shaking up the landscape for, for the retail investor then. Now we're in the midst of, of what I truly believe is a renaissance. What do you think about as you're watching all of this unfold? Yeah, look, uh, it's exciting to watch. I know, I know there's a lot of uh, vested interest here and a lot of hyperbole. And, 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 and I think the net, the net opinion that I have is, number one, it's, it's very good for more participants to be in the market than less. Uh, I think sort of like the on-ramp to participation and sort of all the the, the talk about Robinhood in particular and whether that's good or bad, uh, I think what what may be lost in the conversation, and this is where my work at Senna Hill is is a lot more relevant, is there's been enormous progress the last five, six, seven years in terms of engaging with retail investors uh, through financial technology. There are a lot of apps savings apps, investing investing apps out there that are not specifically about encouraging day trading, if you will. I know that's sort of my pedigree and my past from the 90s. When I think about the companies that are out there right now, you could be 18, 19, 20 20 years old. You could start investing with $5 or $10 or $20 through companies like Stash Invest and Acorns, uh, companies that, that really try to encourage discipline, regular investing and dollar cost averaging and, and investing in themes and ETFs that, that are important to you. And that kind of inclusion is extremely important for capitalism. And when I think about this, and I'll pause in a second so I don't just keep talking in a run-on sentence here, I think what's, what, what, what's most important, you know, this kind of topic of, of sort of the wealth inequality in this country and the impact that it has on our country and on, on the world, one practical way 
to help tackle that is to have more inclusion in financial markets. Let's make our society an ownership society rather than just, you know, the 1% or 5% being engaged in markets. So I think, you know, that kind of forest from the trees kind of gets lost when we think about what's happened in the last week with the short squeeze, but there's so much good stuff happening and I think it gets lost in the conversation. I'm, I'm glad you make that point. And, and I mean, the fact is, and you allude to this as well, it's just never been easier or cheaper for the regular person trader to get involved in the stock market. It's really as simple as Ja Rule put it within the last hour. Robin Hood, in his words, put the stock market in your pocket. That has literally been what's happened. It has opened it up to an entirely new universe of people. That, that, that's correct. Uh, I, but I think it does. We do need to parse because I know there's a lot of conversation about should we be doing more to protect these individuals from them from themselves? Should we stop them from trading? I, I think that kind of rhetoric has to go away. I think people should be allowed to speculate if they want. They should be allowed to, to, to buy stocks and sell it a few moments later for a profit. They can have uh, any sort of uh, perspective they want to participate. I just don't think that necessarily Robinhood should be the top of mind as the only mechanism that they're the trailblazer that did something like this. I think encouraging people to invest for the first time is probably more important than encouraging people to trade for the first time. And and look, I, I made I made my money in, uh, starting a day trading company, so I don't want to sort of you know be the hypocrite here. Uh, but but from a day trading perspective, I, you know I think statistics show it's really for the most part, a losing proposition for most people. And I think the conversation should, should, should really evolve more to how do you create better habits for, for participating in the markets? And, and that's not really through Robinhood. That's through, through a lot of different apps and saving apps and financial management systems out there that are really helping anyone for a little, as little as 5 or $10 to, 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 to start participating and learning. It's fantastic. I, I, somebody used the word renaissance. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's been happening for probably like the last seven or eight years. And we've had tens of millions of new accounts at these at, at these kind of companies. It's fantastic. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Here, here. Um, Steve Weiss uh, and Kevin O'Leary are, are uh, would like to ask you a question, uh, Kyle. Steve, why don't you go first? And then, Mr. Wonderful, you, uh, you can follow Steve, please. Yeah, Kyle, I agree with basically everything you said. But here's the question. Do you think that having these Robinhood traders in the day traders, how long do you think that can go on, number one? And number two, having this whole new class of investors coming in, is that going to increase volatility in the market or not meaningfully? Yes, yeah, so let me answer the second part of that first. Uh, probably will increase volatility, and we've seen some examples of it when, when we sort of have sort of this, this flash mob into particular names. But the net effect of it, whether it lasts or it doesn't last, you guys are all markets folk. The more participants, from different areas, be it institutional, which are asset managers or hedge funds, uh, uh, to retail investors that are buying and holding, to traders with different time horizons. The more people in that marketplace at the same time, net for net, results probably in better uh, pricing transparency, better execution, and all around healthier market. Uh, and, and the volatility, if it creates it in the short term, uh, that doesn't mean we should sort of think, let's remove a certain por portion of those participants because we think we're good, it's going to smooth out volatility. So I don't remember what the first part of the question was. If you repeat it, I'll, I'll try to address that as well. Let me ask you a question. Let me, let me do this. Let, let me get, let, I, I don't have too much time. I don't have a ton of time. Let me get Kevin O'Leary 
uh, involved. Kev, what do you have for Kyle? Kyle, quick, quick question about Robinhood. We know that Schwab changed the whole model when they went to zero commissions, but they have lots of other products to sell you from money markets to mutual funds. You don't have that over at Robinhood. The big scrutiny on this platform is when how do they make their money in the Citadel situation? Do you have any problem with that? Yeah, actually, uh, it's almost like a layup for me, Kevin. I mean, look, I, I spent the better part of the 90s focusing on, on best execution, agency-only trading. Payment for order flow was something that was sinister in my mind. And, and I always told people who wanted to trade semi-professionally or professionally should have direct market access. So I was kind of like the anti-payment for order flow. But over the decades, and we're th talking now about, you know, not a handful of, of traders doing professionally, but for millions of people who use Robinhood, and then Robinhood makes that money by sending it to a market maker, and, 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 and which results in a sort of a free commission, which is a marketing tool, and they make their money behind the scenes. I think there's a place for those electronic market makers that actually enable uh, not necessarily just Robinhood, but all those broker dealers that, that, that cater to retail to, to, to actually have, you know, uh, you know, uh, be able to, to, to help somebody buy 50 shares or a fraction of a stock. Uh, so it's not about payment for order flow versus direct market access. Um, but to your point, I think if, if you want to help people, institutional or retail, having access to more than just being able to short-term trade stocks in and out, access to ETS, access to, to educational tools, access to alternatives, things that are not publicly traded. These are big themes. There's a lot of going on in the crowdfunding space. You know, why should only accredited investors be able to invest in startups as regulation uh, coming down the pipe related to that? So I think, you know, from a from a justice perspective and an access perspective, maybe to kind of reduce some of the anger that and finger pointing that you hear on Twitter about, you know, take down the big guy is people should have access to different financial products uh, through different service providers. And I think we're going in the right direction. That's kind of my point, not pointing a finger and saying, why don't people have access? We are going in the right direction, and the way to kind of counter the rhetoric going on is not to put ourselves on a, on the back feet. You know, I'm part of the establishment now. Funny enough, I used to be a rebel. Uh, I think we're doing great things, and and that should be the voice to maybe educate uh, some of the younger audiences who didn't live through that. They they've kind of just woke up five years mm -hmm. ago, used to buying and selling on their phone, and they think that's the way it is, and and nobody's ever done anything to help them. But the truth is, the the markets, venture capital. Uh, even traditional established players, we're do I think we're doing a really, really good job, and, and it's getting lost, and we're, we're, we're kind of being attacked right now. We, um, we'll call you a rebel with a cause. I, I love this conversation. I feel like uh, we're all smarter from listening to you speak about the markets from somebody who knows them. Um, it's so relevant to what we're witnessing now. It really is good to see you again. Uh, we'll do this again. Thank Kyle Zasky, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today as we go to break. A check on the S&P sectors today. Got a pretty good market session underway now. You notice the Nasdaq up two and a third percent. S&P's highs of the day as well. That's a better than one and a half percent as well. Up almost 57 points. We're back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime. I'm Bob Pisani. Silver and silver ETFs moving today. Could a short squeeze really work in silver? Let's ask Will Rind. He's the founder and CEO of Granite Shares ETF. They run the Granite Shares Commodity ETF, the symbol COMB. That owns silver. He also runs a gold and a platinum ETF. Will, is silver really heavily shorted? And would it be possible for the Reddit crowd to move silver like it moved GameStop? Well, certainly silver and other commodities are shorted. Um, so there's no debate about that. I think, though, the difference here is that you have a lot of commercial interests in the short market. Um, so you have legitimate interests, banks maybe selling to or hedging on behalf of mining uh, customers or you know, selling to refiners. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that can get mixed up in the data. But long story short, I don't think um, what happened in GameStop will happen to something like silver. One, because silver is just a much, much bigger market than what we saw pre um, the, the GameStop mania. And two, you can put more supply onto the market, be either in the professional market via futures or also physical supply um, via recycling coming back into the market at higher prices. Yeah. And what about the regulators? The, the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, regulates commodities, commodity futures like silver. They routinely step in to raise and lower margin requirements when there is sudden movements. They did it back in August. If this keeps up, will the CFTC actually step in? Yeah. So the margin requirements, Bob, are set by the exchanges. And you know this is primary to avoid uh, counterparty risk and limit you know, volatility in the market. And obviously, you know, big blow ups like MF Global that happened a few years ago, um, we don't want that to happen again. And so from an exchange perspective, you know, want to make sure that um, the market is operating normally. And if there's a heightened case of volatility, the exchange can you know, raise margin requirements and force market participants to post higher amounts of collateral against those positions. Okay, thanks, Will. Appreciate that. There's much more on silver and on ETFs when we Will rejoins us for ETF Edge. That's at 1.05 p.m. Eastern time today. Also on ETF Edge, Dan Egan, the Managing Director of Behavioral Finance and Investing at Betterment. He talks about the Reddit crowd and behavioral finance lessons. He's joined by Todd Rosenbruth from CFRA. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime. Back right after this. It's that time again. Pete Nigerian, unusual activity. What do you got for us? I'm going to start off with SUM, Summit uh, Materials, Scott. That's construction materials. Really aggressive buying in there. The March 20 calls. The stock was trading right around 21. They were buying the March 20 calls. They bought 7,500 of those. You also see a trade of the March 22 and a half calls. 7,500 of those. Those were both bought. That's not a spread. So we call that a call stupid because they're buying and buying, which means you're putting yourself into a bind. The stock's got to go higher. It's already on the move as we speak. DXC Technologies is my second one, and that one's pretty aggressive buying as well. 10,000 of the March 30 calls getting bought for about $1.50. I liked both of these. They're both going out to March. They give me plenty of time. So I'm in both these calls in both DXC as well as SUM. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you for that. The snow is falling. 
Nat, gas prices, though, they are spiking. We have more on that big move coming up next. And do you have a money dispute? Kevin O'Leary wants to hear uh, wants to hear all sides and help you determine the best way forward. Go to CNBC.com slash money dispute. Tell him your story. See if Mr. Wonderful can help you out. We're casting now. Halftime's back after this. Let's do the futures outlook now. Natural gas surging today, double digits. Let's bring in Scott Nation's for more, uh, Scott, I, I guess it's no surprise, right? The temperatures are plummeting, it's, snow's falling, now gas is rising. That's right, Scott. I mean, it's the first week in February. It's what you would expect. But the interesting thing is, it's a little under the radar. I mean, that gas is up half again. What silver is up, and while it's up double digits, you know, there's plenty of supply. Uh, we we see more uh, supply right now than we had this time last year. There's more than the five year average for this time of year. So. We really shouldn't be worried. Uh, I would actually be a seller. I, I would take the opportunity to sell this if I could stop into the trade. So I would sell the March contract, $2.75. Again, that's when it's coming back down. Uh, that would be the, Mar- the March contract. Target, $2.40. My stop, we're always going to trade these with a stop, $2.95. At those prices, Scott, we're risking $2,000 to make $3,500. All right. Thanks for that trade. Scott, we'll talk to you soon. Scott Nations. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trade straight ahead. Final trade time. Courtney, you're up first. What do you have for us? API. Think Clubhouse and China Cloud Play. Okay. Kevin O'Leary. Facebook. Any pullback has rewarded you in the past. It's still the number one platform for digital spend for small business and job creation in America. Okay, good day for that stock. NASDAQ's having a great day, too. Pete? Workhorse, Scott. I see some calls being bought. I jumped on those. I bought the calls during the show. And Mr. Weiss? Qualcomm and Corvo are going to blow out the quarter on Wednesday. Still time to get long. Okay, thank you for that. It's good to see everybody. Shovel safely. Shovel safely if you're in this area. A lot of snow is falling. Let's check the markets real quick. I think we're at the highs of the day. Again, a big week for earnings. So much more uh, going on as well. That does it for us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.